0: help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com.
1: Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast, normally with Greg and Colin, but today, it's not Greg and Colin. Today, it is Colin, that's me, with Blair Howell and Paige Hilton. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us, Colin. It's going to be fun, right, Paige?
2: Yeah, thank you for having us.
1: Our clients and listeners may not know that we do a lot of due diligence when we're looking at products and services. Blair, I'm sure you can attest to this. We go to a lot of conferences, seminars, webinars, management meetings, all kinds of stuff like that. That's correct. Blair, you and I just got back from a big one. We were away in Huntington Beach, California, which is a lovely place. I quite enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. It's a great place to go to. And a good place to have a conference too. So we were at a conference called Future Proof. And this conference was very different from the normal traditional hotel ballroom type of venue. Paige, we were next to the beach just off of the Pacific Ocean. Sounds lovely. It was lovely. It was a lovely place to be. The weather was great. The whole conference was outdoors, which was something unique. Because you're getting a sunburn while you're listening about Smart Beta or whatever. So that was unique. There was also a lot of great content. So today we thought we would review some of the key takeaways from that venue is This was a very well-attended conference. There was upwards of 3,000 people at that conference. Blair, you got a chance to meet people from all over the country and all over North America, really. Yeah, even from the UK and Australia. It was a great way
3: to see what everybody else in the world is doing and share ideas.
1: The only thing was some different language. Page in the US, they don't say niche, they say niche. They talk about their niche marketing or their niche strategies. I always find that funny. Just wanted to give a big shout out to Josh Brown and all the people at Rithold's Wealth Management who set up this great event. And it really was a great event. So guys, let's do this as a question and answer format. What do you think? Sounds good. Paige, you want to kick us off?
2: First question for you. What is the current versus future state for investment management and wealth management services?
1: There were some real themes that became apparent during the presentations when we were in Huntington Beach. I want to give just a short summary of them. The first is that investment products have become commoditized. Now, Blair, we often talk about this, that the actual act of placing an investment is pretty straightforward, like to do a transaction, to purchase a stock, a bond, a mutual fund, ETF, whatever the case might be. That's easy to do, right? You just hit buy or sell. Yeah, it's just data entry. I'm pretty sure my kids could do it. Everybody's kids could do it. Even Wyatt could do it, Page, You hit a button, a green button or a red button. Pretty easy to do,
2: He's pretty good on his iPad, so.
1: Oh, there you go. (laughs) That was number one. Investment products have become commoditized. Number two was fee compression, which is something that has been happening for the last decade anyways. And it continues to be a thing because these products are easily replicable, imitable, pretty easy and straightforward to implement as we talked about. For example, if you wanted exposure to the S&P 500, you could do that through many different ETF or mutual fund providers you just be buying an investment that's based off of the index of the S&P 500. There should be no difference between an iShares S&P 500 or a Vanguard S&P 500. It's just tracking the S&P 500. They're all identical. The only thing that they have to compete on is fees. So as such, the fees of these types of investments have come down pretty dramatically over the last 20 years. That's part of fee compression. The other part too is that the wealth advice business of the past was focused on security selection. And the present and the future doesn't seem to be going that way. It's more about problem solving, which Blair, I'm sure you find this. It's much more meaningful work and you create much more meaningful relationships when you're focused on helping somebody solve a problem versus which stock should I buy? Having that conversation of picking stocks is
3: fun or stressful, but it's probably not the answer to your financial
1: future. It's probably not going to get you where you want to be. The products can be pretty straightforward, but the act of investing can be pretty complex. That sounds funny to say, so I want to say it again. The products are straightforward, but the act of investing can be very complex. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There's things like behavioral biases. Why did I do that? Why didn't I do this? It looks so easy. But the evolution of products continues. And in the U.S., there's a big push towards direct index investing which allows an investor to own an index, but to exclude some individual securities for tax reasons or for ESG reasons or for whatever reason they have. We were listening to some presentations in Huntington Beach about, I think it was called direct index investing. That was the phrase he used. And the problem with that, now you're taking this passive index investing strategy, to which we believe in, and you're attaching an active sub-strategy to it. That doesn't make sense. They had some good explanations and
3: some that we dismissed as just adding on product. Don't do something just to do it. The tax implications from state to states could make sense for some people, but really,
1: you're just making more complicated than it needs to be. Exactly. Providers of this type of strategy market it as a way to implement tax efficiency and do something called yield farming, which we'll get into a little bit. Got another one first page?
2: I do. So question number two, do we believe active security selection in equities adds any value?
1: Blair, I'm going to take this one. Okay. No. (laughs) (laughs) We do not believe security selection in equities adds any value because we're believers of the efficient market hypothesis and that things are priced based off of all the information available to them today. Direct index investing, as we just mentioned, is just some new form of active investing, just a new form of security selection, a new form of market timing. So I don't want to be too hard on it, but it doesn't make sense to passive strategy and make it active. Do you agree? I totally buy on the passive equity selection process. And
3: again, it's a big industry. I think people get bored with, well, I just have a regular ETF. I still want to keep that ETF. But what if I do X, Y, Z with it?
2: Question number three, do we believe in yield farming, investing in products simply because of a high yield attached to them?
1: I can answer this one again, Blair. The answer is no. (laughs) Dividend yield is simply a byproduct of being invested in the broader market. I like to view dividends like calcium. The milk producers say you should drink X number of glasses of milk per day to get your daily calcium intake. But those milk producers are selling milk. It's in their best interest to tell you to drink X number of glasses a day. But if you eat a diverse diet, lots of fruits and vegetables, you'll get calcium from all kinds of other sources. I don't think you need to chase dividend yields. Any comments on that, Blair? I agree totally. It should be based on your plan, on your goals of what you need.
3: How the portfolio is structured is based on your planning. I think they use the phrase a lot there, asset liability management, which is a pension term, which is essentially you're going to need money down the road. So make sure your portfolio is set up to hit these goals and these targets. And if you're focusing on only one aspect of the market, is that going to fit? Maybe. My experience, it doesn't put you in a bad spot.
1: You get caught in a position you didn't think you would be caught in because you're chasing dividend yields and you end up with something maybe more risky than you thought. So our advice to people and the advice from this conference was keep it simple, stupid. Greg and I have spent a lot of time in past episodes talking about that. The KISS strategy works better for pretty much 99% of all investors. It's just our opinion, but it's the right one. (laughs) But as you say, Blair, it's got to start from planning.
2: All right. So question number four, we get this one a lot. How much do I need to retire, pay for education, buy a new house, et cetera?
1: When it comes to retirement, I get that one all the time. How much do I need to retire? And I guess the answer is, well, how much do you plan on spending? Without doing financial planning, you can't really answer that question. I think a lot of people don't know what the answer is without writing it down
3: and doing some projections. I think a large part of the conference was focused on that, getting to know your clients, what are their values, goals, those type of questions. We try to
1: ask, everybody's different. For sure, everybody's different. Everybody's got a different story, a different path, a different house, (laughs) (laughs) a different mortgage rate, different debt. Can you imagine buying a house now when mortgage rates have gone from 2% to 6% in three months? Paige, you buy a new house?
2: No, I'm lucky to be locked into my current mortgage.
1: (laughs) We all are because that really changes a spending decision when your borrowing cost goes up three times. What do you got next for us, Paige?
2: Speaking of costs, question number five, will fee compression persist?
1: I'm going to take the opposite to the past few questions, Blair. The answer is yes, fee compression will persist. But I guess the bigger question is, are people only looking at services by their cost, just looking for the lowest cost service? I don't think that's a good idea to do it that way. Consumers will decide what's important to them. That might be low cost. It might be highest value. Blair, let's say you have a health issue and you go to your doctor, your GP, your GP. You know that it's beyond the doctor's scope. You know your GP is not going to do a hip replacement. Probably not. I hope not. If they offer to, you should run. (laughs) What they're going to do is they're going to send you to a hip and knee specialist, a subject matter expert. And that specialist is going to provide the best advice. And why would that be any different in wealth management? As you get fee compression in the industry, you're going to see more areas of specialization come into play. And maybe you have to pay for some of those services as an add-on cost, but it can't just be all about low cost. Because if it was just low cost, all you would do is buy the Vanguard, iShares, all market ETFs at seven basis points, and you just wouldn't do anything. What's the old saying? In the
3: absence of value,
1: cost is the only determinant. Our team is known as the CM Group. I don't know if you guys knew that. But the CM Group focuses on what we call being a best cost provider. So offering the highest value at a reasonable cost. And I think that's the way the industry is going to go is you're going to see more services being offered for a reasonable fee.
2: What about global macro trends that came out of the presentation?
1: There were a few, weren't there, Blair? We sat in on a global macro economic forum presentation. That's correct. Some of the trends that came out. Well, first off, the one thing that came up is that the only thing that is constant is change. That's a quote we've used before. I can't remember who said it. Somebody from hundreds of years ago, but it's very relevant. Currently, we hear all kinds of investment themes around things like climate change. Blair, I don't want to get into this debate about whether climate change is real. It doesn't matter what my opinions are. You're going to run into people that believe the other way. So you can't really debate that. But I think from an investing perspective, I'm sure there are some opportunities out there based on climate change or no climate change, whichever side of the fence you're on.
3: There's some really good conversations about that just not on climate change, but social issues and governance. Everybody has different.
1: I keep bringing up values. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get into values in a little bit. The bigger thing, maybe not so focused on climate change, is ESG is a global macro trend. As you mentioned, ESG is environment, social, and governance. Every publicly traded company now has an ESG score, whereas 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. You didn't have ESG scores you could look at. Some call this the sustainability decade, which is focused on the basics of things like food and water. Paige, that was one thing that came up with climate change. Another one was artificial intelligence. The largest opportunities today probably exist in this space, I would say. We're seeing it in our business too. We are. And there was a lot of different speakers on the subject. That was a bit of an eye-opener. It was fascinating. Think about the way we do business. Pre-COVID, we didn't do virtual meetings. Post-COVID, majority of our meetings are virtual, even though people can still come downtown. They prefer to do them virtually. That's very different. So there's been this ongoing transformation from physical to digital, this human to machine transformation. And some say that the future will consist of something called embedded finance. Do you remember hearing that term? Remind me again. Financial capabilities on entire products sold as a service and embedded in a broader customer experience. So this is already occurring. Think about the old way of stock picking. Back in the day, you would pay a transaction cost to buy and sell a stock. And then that changed over time to a fee-based arrangement where you'd pay a percentage and it would cover all your transaction costs. And today, it's more a fee-based percentage for discretionary portfolio management with an add-on of wealth management services like financial planning. That's way different than 20 years ago. Yes, it's going towards a much more equitable and fairer system. And offering better services. So the updated version of wealth management is planning focused, problem solving, using broad investment basics to harness the power of markets while minimizing costs. That sounds way better than, should I buy, pick a stock? You remember Wall Street, the movie Wall Street? Of course. Blue Horseshoe Loves Anaclot Steel. Yeah. You remember that theme? <laughs> I <Okay>. do. <laughs> Anyways. let's move on.
2: Transactional business or a transactions relationship is the old way and more specific planning around goal setting is the new way. What does that look like for the next decade and beyond?
1: What's going to happen in the next decade? I don't know what's going to happen in the next week sometimes. (laughs) Some of the presenters talked about how planning will be threefold. They talked about financial capital, human capital, and time on earth allocation, which of course is finite. You only have so much time on this planet. This leads to deeper, more meaningful conversations. Every decision that you make is actually a financial decision, whether you believe it or not. Your decision to get up, go to work, obviously, is a financial decision. Your decision to answer the phone when your child calls looking for money, that's a financial decision. (laughs) Your decision to go out for lunch or go for coffee or bigger, we're surrounded by financial decisions. So we need to plan for the long term while financing the short term. This is very similar to business planning and strategy. Blair, you know from your CFP days, what do businesses look at? They look at their balance sheet and income statements. Why would it be any different for investors? Exactly. Spreading that focus
3: over those three other categories, going down to that planning of want this great retirement, this great life, but you have to pay for it. There's got to be money there.
1: I can tell you with my Netflix, Amazon, Disney Plus, Crave, Cable bill alone, my kids are not going to go to college. (laughs) <laughs> Just joking. Okay, what do we got next, Paige?
2: What about traditional retirement planning?
1: What I heard one of the speakers say, and this resonated with me, is retirement is not a linear relationship. We need to stay engaged, be social, and pay for it. But the engaged social life needs to be addressed as you pivot away from work. And we see that in working with people going into retirement or well into retirement. Usually those first couple of years are kind of hard because if you don't have a lot of hobbies or interests outside of work. Sometimes people struggle. The work being done now is to say, it's not linear. There's other things you got to consider. What are your interests? What are your hobbies? What are you going to do? What are you going to spend your most important commodity on? And that most important commodity is time. You've heard that one before. Time is your most important commodity. Yep. As we said earlier, it's finite. I would say, ask yourself these questions. Questions that we post all the time. What am I doing or what do I want to do that requires planning money and time? It's a good question to ask yourself. As you're laying awake at night, maybe. (laughs) You could also ask yourself, what do I think about money? That's a big one. What is money? Have you ever thought about that one? I know I'm putting you on the spot here. You are putting me on the spot. Paige?
2: I think about money every day.
1: Yeah. (laughs) What specifically is money? And you don't have to answer it. I just want you to think about it. What is it? I don't touch money anymore. Do you touch money anymore? It's just things that transact through your online accounts and subscriptions. And something comes in and something goes out. We don't have to get too deep today.
3: It goes and it changes too. I remember one speaker stood out. He said, life changes your mind with what you want to do, but also changes your view of money as you get older, how important it is to you. I think it's always there, but as you're ramping up to retirement, it may become your only focus, but maybe in retirement, it changes a bit. Keeping healthy, staying in touch with friends, being bored, maybe money goes to the background. That goes back to your question of how you view money, and it's probably
1: where you are in life. I know there's been research done, but I think it was Daniel Pink that did this research that said, as long as your basics are covered, every extra unit of money doesn't bring you any more happiness. Something to consider as we're talking about wages. <laughs> okay, let's move on.
2: What does all of that have to do with portfolio management?
1: Lots. It's easy to get caught up in the short-term market movements, the headlines. We're surrounded by them today. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the stock market is down right now. Yeah, I heard that. Portfolio management isn't just everything we just talked about. It's what are you going to do going forward? So I would say to somebody, ask yourself this instead. What would my portfolio look like today if I had sold out in 2009 during the global financial crisis? That's a good question to ask yourself, because there were people back in 2009 that were thinking similarly to people now. That's saying, oh, the market's not going to go back up. It's down. Ukraine, Russia, whatever the headline is, inflation, interest rates, I mean, back in 2009, it was the global credit crisis. The credit market is going to collapse the global financial community. Didn't happen. If you had sold out in 2009, you'd be in a much different place than you would if you had stayed invested. Or more recently, March of 2020, when COVID sort of hit the world and the U.S. stock market sold off 35%. If you had sold out, what would your portfolio look like today? That
3: goes back to these downturns in the market. These are not once-in-a-lifetime events. These are a regular part of market cycles we spend a great deal of our time just reminding our clients that this isn't a one off. Markets go up longer than they go down, but they do go down. And I hate to say it when you see your portfolio drop, it's actually a healthy part of the cycle. Market resets itself. It's always based on future earnings
1: reevaluing where it was and then it takes a breather and goes back up. Exactly. Because portfolio imagine isn't just about asset allocation. It's also gotta include these three things save, invest and protect. So you've got to save money. You've got to put some aside. You should invest it. We believe you should invest it. I think we're all on that same page. And you have to protect it. Well, protect it might mean not doing something when the market's down, leaving it alone. Just let it ride because all of the data is there. and We don't have time to go through all of it today. But as you say, there's lots of different cycles where the market's gone up, gone down, gone back up. We're not allowed to use the word guarantee very much. I guarantee you that the market's going to go up at some point. I said at some point.
2: At some point. <laughs> I
1: guarantee it. <laughs>
2: guarantee it. Don't know when.
1: Just don't know when.
2: What about health and wealth? Did that come up?
1: That came up a lot. They are definitely linked and related. One of the speakers talked about thinking about it as a health and wealth wellness program with three buckets, physical, spiritual. Now I should say whatever that means to you in your world. And the third one, mental. And they talked about how all of them contribute to your wellness. Was it Morgan Housel, Blair, who talked about consistency as life's cheat code? That was him, yeah. Morgan Housel wrote The Psychology of Money. He talks about how it's important to be consistent with health decisions, financial health decisions, and by being consistent with them, you make them habits. So whether that's a savings habit, a not selling out during markets down habit, whatever that habit is, it only becomes a habit through consistency. That would be the same for your health. There's people that say, I got to lose some weight. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Lots of people. Oh, I got
1: to get into shape. Oh, Well, the only way you're going to lose weight and get in shape is if you actually do something about it. You cut out some food and you start doing some exercise. And the only way you make that a consistent part of your life is if you consistently do it. You know, Greg and I one time were talking about you are an aggregation of every one of your decisions. It's kind of scary to think about.
2: A little bit. Financial health sounds good, but how do I do that?
1: Let's answer that by talking about what money isn't. We have these things called financial fictions. This is not something that I made up. One of the speakers talked about it. I don't remember which one it was. I can't remember who it was either. They talked about financial fictions as things we believe are real. They are not actually real. So an example they posed was money. What is money really? Money wreaks havoc on our mind and our behaviors. I think it was Daniel Crosby that talked about this, actually. Yeah, actually it was. Daniel Crosby, another well-known author and person in finance, he talked about the top 3 stressors being money, work, and the economy. That money was the number 1 stressor. This is not our work page, this is the work of a psychologist that works in finance. So to address the stress that money creates, we need to speak clearly about it. Hit it head on, be planning centric, goals based, focused on behavioral finance to understand why we make or have made decisions in the past and in the future. It's easy to look back and say I should have done this, I should have not had that chocolate bar, or I should have put $100 away each month for the last 40 years, that doesn't matter. The should have doesn't matter. What are you going to do now? Taking control. I think I watched a documentary
3: or something years ago when they talked about what causes most stress for employees in the workplace. And what they found is the less control that person has over their day-to-day past or life, the more stress they feel. More in control, stress goes down. It's the same with money. If you don't have a plan and you're guessing what you're doing, it just adds to the stress. But if you have a plan, you understand where you are, you feel like you've taken control,
1: lowers that stress. Now I know both your guys' kids are younger than mine. My kids have a plan for money. They just call me and then it just appears. <laughs> <laughs> it just becomes my stress. It's not theirs
2: should we use money to secure the future or enjoy today?
1: Blair, I'm going to default to you on this one in a second, but I think the answer is both. That you have to start with values. There's been a lot of research done linking goals to values. And there's two things. There's financial goals and there's values. And financial goals are usually based on what other people are doing. You hear somebody say, oh, so-and-so bought a new boat or a car, a house, a vacation property, whatever. We always feel like we have to keep up with everybody else on those financial goals whereas values are more enduring and they lead to better goals. So financial goals can be and should be tied to value. That's my take on it. And that's what I got out of the conference. Anything different on your end? No, that's bang on. They talk, yeah, goals
3: are a little bit fluid. They change. And like you just said, a lot of people we talk to will just almost based on what other people's goals are. It seems like a good answer. Where his values
1: are very personal. Tell us about your values, Blart. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) We won't turn this into a psychology session. I'll be here crying.
2: (laughs) Probably for the best.
1: Last question to finish us off.
2: Last question. How does this relate to portfolio performance?
1: I think it's a behavioral opportunity. The market opportunity is in behavior. It's not in math. Math is easy. You can put together all kinds of formulas and mathematically solve something for an expected return, but... If you think about it and simplify things, you remove a lot of stress. As we said earlier, it can be simple but not easy, I think is the key takeaway. Here's a simple strategy that Morgan Housel, who I mentioned earlier, talked about. He said, look, a simple but not easy strategy is to dollar cost average for 30 years investing into the market regularly during all kinds of peaks and troughs. And in his example, these are his words, you will end up in the top 5% of investors. That sounds pretty good. He's just taking the thought process out of it, taking the stress out of it, just put it away regularly, and you end up with a lot more. How does that relate to portfolio performance? So we get that question a lot because a lot of people want to know, what's my portfolio performance? Well, in what context? This year? This decade? How much is it compared to what you need? Money really doesn't really do anything for you in that context. If I said to you, Blair, your rate of return was minus 12%, your response would be, what? I need to get out of the market. <laughs> but if I said, yeah, but over the last 10 years, you've averaged 9% a year. That's a little better. Guess what the S&P 500 has done for the last 10 years? 9 or 10% a year for the last 10 years. It's just that right now, it's not such a good state. What we need is a lack of FOMO. We need this lack of fear of missing out. And we need a well-calibrated sense of our future regrets. Because as you talked to it, Blair, we're going to get through this downturn and there will be another one. And nobody knows when it will be or what will cause it. But it will happen. Again, I guarantee it. We'll edit that guarantee out. No, we're not. (laughs) Because all we're saying is that we guarantee at some point in the future, the market will go up. And at some point in the future, the market will go down. I don't know how you can dispute that. We're all looking for certainty. We're all looking for the right answer in a world that is forever uncertain. I always like saying that. We're looking for certainty in a world that is forever uncertain. It just doesn't work that way. So if you want to focus on your short-term portfolio performance, that's probably going to cause a lot of stress in your life, which is probably going to be a negative influencer on your most valuable commodity being time, and your finite time will be reduced. Anything you want to add to that at all? Or?
3: I think you touched on all the key points that we went over. It was refreshing the conference of how much information we got about the planning side of thing and the importance of individuality of each client and focusing on values and focusing on the important stuff and good things will happen and not focusing on the stock price or this or that. And I think everybody there was understanding of how markets work. And so they didn't spend a lot of time on that.
1: It was refreshing to not have to talk about smart beta or things of that nature and spend more of our time talking about what do people really want? What do they need? What do they think they want, think they need? That was really a much better time spent on our part. No push for products. It was just about how can we do
3: a better job helping people we care about hit their goals
1: a short story to share when I got home from California my wife and I took our dogs to Edworthy Park for dog walk and the sun was setting and she said oh it's so nice out it's so beautiful So I don't know 24 hours ago I was watching the sunset over the Pacific Ocean that was was pretty (laughs) nice too I think we should probably end it there today hey I'm going to exit us out with a song only because we listened to a concert while we were there this is the band that played at the end of our conference page my new favorite band page
2: pretty impressive
1: <laughs> it was pretty cool thanks for joining me today page thanks for joining me today blair thanks for having me enjoy being here all right till next time
0: thank you for listening to the free lunch podcast hosted by the cm group at cibc wood gundy To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners. Please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the free lunch podcast. Two.